I was going through, sometimes I like to um, <clears throat> scroll through Dharma Seed and see uh, what talks are there. And there was one the other day, uh, I think it was Donald Rothberg, and he was talking, or the title was something like Dukkha and the End of Dukkha. And I, I like that, and um, I, I can't remember if it was in the description of the talk or some other stuff I've read recently. And um, dukkha is often translated as suffering. That's the very common word that we use. And I remember reading in the preface to the Majima Nikaya, which is the, the, um, the middle-length middle discourses of the Buddha, the suttas, the... Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote that the the prior translator had decided that if he ran across a particular word, he would choose a definition for that. And every time he saw that word, he would use that definition and dukkha became suffering. And if you if you know anything about languages, you know, I mean, even in English and any language, words don't always have one meaning there's very there can be nuances and that's that's the thing with uh dukkha and um it can sometimes be off-putting suffering i never related really to suffering suffering had a particular view and i mean those people over there who really had it bad they were suffering i wasn't really suffering i had a Maybe I had a lousy life or whatever it was. I had a lot of problems, but I wasn't suffering. And I looked up, um, there was a, I saw an article that talked about a bunch of different teachers and their different, and from different traditions with their, their explanations or their translations or understanding of dukkha. So uh, conditioning, things not going the way we want, that's, that's dukkha things not going the way I want. There's a lot of dukkha around that. Painful bodily sensations. There's that dukkha. That's the, just the dukkha of being a human being. And this, this is, comes out of the first noble truth. Um, painful sensations, grief, lamentation, suffering. Something is off. Something is off kilter, um, which is, I think, where the, the, uh, the original meaning of dukkha is like a, a, a cart off his axis, where it's that shopping cart that you get at the supermarket that's always going in a different direction. Um, reactivity, um, unsatisfactoriness, the dissatisfaction of life. So there's a lot more uh, meanings to dukkha than just suffering, although suffering, it's easy to fall into that because it's so common. And so I think for tonight, as much as I can, I'm going to say dukkha and throw some other under I just so I just wanted to set that um understanding out there that I don't always I'm not always going to say suffering sometimes I'm going to say dukkha because what I want to talk about is the um the end of dukkha <laughs> we, rather than dukkha we talk about dukkha all the time and it's like George Haas a teacher um he said one time dukkha 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 blah 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 which is just a great line, and it's like dukkha, 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 blah, blah, blah. So we talk about dukkha all the time. Um, but the end of dukkha is um, in the in the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha said that you know dukkha is birth, death, suffering, being separated from what we love, and our the root cause of this dukkha is our craving for sensual pleasure all the time. We want it to be good all the time. And that's impossible. So we're gonna we're gonna 
uh, have a uh, have a reaction to that if we want it to be good all the time and it's not that's not going to go well but there is a way out and that way out is the eightfold path so that's a very long intro to say I want to talk about the eightfold path tonight and it was last summer um, a year ago last summer 2021 I did a series on the eightfold path I did I think it, over about two and a half months, I did a, one of the factors each week. Sometimes it took a couple of weeks for each factor to really take a deep dive into it. But tonight I just want to do uh, an overview, I think, which is oftentimes helpful. And as, as we go through this, I, I, um, it's helpful maybe to see where what's up for you because um, the Eiffel Path, although it's, numbered one to eight and it's called a path it's not linear if you see visual depictions of it it's a wheel and we don't start with the first one and get to the end and then say okay done now what it's a continual visiting it's a deepening uh it's there's you start with perhaps the intellectual understanding and then it's the experiential wisdom the the knowledge that's part of becomes part of how you move through the world as you continue to practice and so as we move through this it's it's helpful to perhaps um, notice where you are in this some some places we spend a lot of time in some places are very meaningful other places are less uh, less uh, prominent in our lives at this moment so just just noticing what might be your edge right now. And um, I know you've all been practicing for a while, so some of this may be familiar, but I don't ever think it grows old, and it's always helpful to revisit the really core teachings. And so the, the path is divided into three sections. I saw one um, division or one naming of them that said moral conduct, sila, moral conduct, um, Panya, wisdom, and samadhi, or mental discipline. Often it's translated as, as um, concentration, but it's also mental discipline. And so I'll, I'll talk about these three sections. So I'll start with the first section, which is the wisdom section, panya, which is right view and right intention. And right view or right understanding, wise understanding, is basically the fore, forerunner of the whole path. It's to see clearly what's going on or to have an inkling that maybe what I think is going on is not necessarily what's going on. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a movement towards um, eliminating ignorance, both implicit, those, the conditioning that we have that we're not even aware of, this, this tendency to move in particular directions driven by um, you know, our conditioning, our familial conditioning, our societal conditioning, um, and explicit things we know um, um, that we just, we hate or we love or we want or we don't want. And it's, um, so it's about seeing clearly. It's about recognizing and understanding the Four Noble Truths that I just talked about, that there is discomfort in this world, that there is suffering, that there is birth, there is death, that it's the human condition it's the denial of the human condition that causes so much suffering, so much dissatisfaction. It's this idea that if we just do it right, if they just do what they're supposed to do, it's going to be okay. It's going to feel okay. 
pretty much all the time. And that's a very simple way of, of, of summing up what, what we are doing in this, what's going on in this world. You know, it's just everything has to be okay and then we'll be okay. Instead of recognizing it's like shit happens. That's, you know, that I used to say, that's what the Buddha said. Um, that's my translation, but that's it. Stuff is going to happen all the time. Eight worldly wins. It's going to happen. And to understand that and to understand that our craving, our aversion, the three characteristics, uh, um, understand the defilements that craving, aversion, ignorance is, is, is at the root of all these things are, that are unwholesome or not beneficial and that things are impermanent and it's our attachment to wanting things to be to last all the time I'm going to, if this if, if it just turns out this way I will live happily ever after which is impossible because things end, everything ends. Some things take a lot longer. There's geologic time and there's um, I don't, nanoseconds, which I guess are the other end of the spectrum of geologic time. So, but things are going to change, whatever happens. And that um, uh, there is dukkha. There is dukkha. And that we are conditioned beings that um, are shifting and our perspective is changing all the time. So to understand that, even at an intellectual level, but to begin to see how that plays out in, um, in our lives and to have this as a guide for the other factors as we move through it, it's this understanding of letting go of craving, letting go of aversion, just letting go. Let go, let go, let go. Ajahn Chah talked about that all the time. Biko Analio talks about that all the time. I, uh, John Somato talks about that all the time. Let go, let go, let go. I talk about it all the time. I'm not putting myself in their category, but it's like, let go. It's when I cling. I, I said it's a retreat I came out of, and the one sentence after 10 days was, to cling is to suffer. It's like, okay, that's it. To cling is to suffer. So see what we're clinging to. See what we're holding on to, and that's what we have to bring our attention to. And that comes to the next, the next um, factor, which is wise intention. There's the, the, the wise view setting up a, 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 a clarity, starting to move towards clarity, and then the intention is to start guiding ourselves in a particular direction. And there are three pieces to wise intention. There's renunciation. And it's not just giving stuff up to be a good person which oftentimes we have the idea, oh, you if let go of this so you'll be a good person. It's letting go of what causes suffering. Letting go of what causes discomfort. Letting go of the root cause of dukkha. You know, what? And it's, it can be different for each of us. We have to see where our suffering is. Where's my dukkha? You know, what, what is uncomfortable for me? And can I let it go? Um... And maybe Rick Hansen, I, I love this, Rick Hansen says, don't just let it go into a vacuum. What, what can you bring in its stead? You know, what, let go of the unwholesome and move towards the wholesome. I talked about this um, last, I think it was, might have been last year, I was doing it with my Year to Live group, and I want to I wanna kind of be less busy, so I want to let go of that because that causes discomfort. That causes some dukkha, constantly running, going, doing, and there's not enough time, and la, 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 la. We live in a society that thinks that's a really great way to live, and it's not. 
And so I want to do that. So what do I want to replace it with? Oh, replacing with, with spending some time with, with my husband, um, reading some books that I'd like to read, doing, doing some of this, doing some of that. So to recognize that, to let go of this, we move towards something else. And the something else, we move towards that with the other two pieces of this, goodwill, friendliness. We move through the world with goodwill, with metta towards all, and with compassion. In a non-harming way, we, we, or we set our intention to move in a way that doesn't cause harm. I, th I think those are really quite good things to utilize as a guide. And I love the, the saying that um, intention leads to action. So if we have, if we have a, an actual intention, it will lead to action, and actions lead to habit, and habit leads to character, and character leads to destiny. So it all starts with moving ourselves in the right direction. And being intentional about it. Intention is, is huge. The road to hell is not, is, is not paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions is not a Buddhist concept. Okay. So to, to really watch the intention. Also understanding the idea of impact, too. We can't go, oh, my intention was good. We also have to take responsibility for our actions. That's really a paramount part of this this practice is responsibility. So I want to I want to name that. But we set a direction for a life that is not built on non-harming. So how do you do that? How do you not move through the world without causing harm? Well, funny you should ask because that moves us into the next section: sila, ethical behavior, integrity. What do they call it? Moral conduct. And that's um, right action. Right livelihood and inside right li right action um, is it's a, a right a well livelihood excuse me right action is about how to live with others in harmony how to move through the world as I said so it's about wise speech it's um, that's one of the factors is right speech and um, we all know, I think most of us are familiar with the teachings around, is it true? Is it kind? Are we telling the truth? Are we saying it kindly? Because we can say the truth with a very snarky uh, attitude. That's not nice. Um, is it necessary? It can be true, it can be kind, but it can be unnecessary. Is it the right time? And what's our intention? Is it a kind intention? So to, to watch those, those criteria. And in the, in the, uh, in the Eightfold Path, there's a, also um, uh, some, some uh, prescriptions about slanderous speech and harsh speech. So is your speech harsh? Are you, are you committing slander? And there's a, also a piece about idle chatter. There's a piece about sarcasm too, but I don't need to go there because that's been where I've lived my whole life. Um, but idle chatter. And this, this is, this is, this is um, coming up for me. I, I was listening to some podcast the other day and they're like, 
they're talking about, did Harry Styles really spit on Chris Pine? And I'm like, I had no idea what they were talking about. I know who those, they're both, who Harry Styles and Chris Pine are, but they spent all this time having the conversation. Diddy, diddy. I don't know. I looked at the video and I go, this sounds like idle chatter to me. And I remember when I used to smoke many years ago, and I'd take a break and go outside at work, and there'd be the little crews standing in the parking lot smoking, and we just, it was idle chatter. It's, you know, it's just, I'm not saying it's bad, but you have to pay attention to your relationship with it as well. Uh, somebody the other day was talking about this, how they said they were taking a, a break from social media because they found themselves getting sucked into Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and what's going on with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and what's going on. And it became this huge part of their life that they needed to know about. And this is distraction. This is ignorance. Idle chatter takes us away from the present. It's fine to have those conversations. I'm not saying it's wrong, but watch your relationship to it. If idle chatter leads to ignorance and distraction and takes you away from being present, investigate that. And that can show up in many different ways. There's in the sutta and it's four monastics, there's a whole stack of stuff that it says you don't want to talk about. And we basically and and they basically say, just talk about the Dharma. Talk about how you live your life in this way, supporting these teachings living on a path to enlightenment because if you're dedicated to liberation and enlightenment you don't have time for idle chatter because that takes you away from the path to liberation so it's about investigating where you are on this path and what's important to you it's really um i don't want to say it's that simple but that can be a measure of what you do what you don't do where you go where you don't go and also the the harsh speech is towards ourselves as well. Really important to watch the chatter in the mind. Watch the critical voice. You get to utilize this on yourself as well. Really important. We I I used to put myself outside the category do not cause harm to anyone except me, but I didn't do it in in, um, explicitly, it was just kind of a, a way I moved through the world until I recognized that this was painful. Dukkha. Oh, I'm actually dukkha-ing myself. No, no, causing dukkha to myself. I'm not dukkha-ing myself, but you know what I mean. So watching that, really important. And then right action. Um, don't kill. Pretty obvious. Cultivate kindness and compassion. Don't take what's not offered. Cultivate generosity. And take, don't take what's not offered is, you know, not just stuff. You know, what are you taking that's not being freely given? Somebody's time, somebody's attention. Really, really investigate. Um, it's amazing the places you can see that you're kind of taking without, um, uh, without somebody offering it. It can be very subtle. And, and that's the thing about the Eightfold Path. It's very subtle. You, you go in on the surface, there's the low-hanging fruit, and then you come back through and you, you keep refining how you move through the world and other things come up that you, re you begin to recognize dukkha in your life. And then you go, oh, maybe this is what's happening right now. Maybe this is what's causing so much discomfort 
dissatisfaction. Um, watching our, our sexual uh, misconduct, not, well, it says sexual misconduct, but um, being wise with our sexual um, uh, activity, you know, not causing harm there, that's a place that can, there can be great harm caused. So watching that, um, and then right livelihood, Gaining, um, doing, um, living our life and gaining our, or making our living in a, in a wise and wholesome way. And really, and this is interesting thinking about this because a lot of folks think that Buddhists are not allowed to have money. Buddhists shouldn't have a nice place to live. They shouldn't wear nice clothes. They shouldn't drive nice cars. Um, there's this, I don't know what this bizarre thing is. I'm sure you've all heard it. I've heard people, I had a, I had a ratty car once and somebody said, oh, then you're being a good Buddhist. And I'm like, really? No, it's just a ratty car. It really is not because of this, um, what I'm doing. And it was interesting in the Noble Eightfold Path by Bhikkhu Bodhi, he talks about it, talking about making, um, Buddha teaches that wealth should be gained in accordance with certain standards. Acquire it by legal means, not illegally. Acquire it peacefully, without coercion. Acquire it honestly, not by trickery or deceit. Acquire it in ways which do not entail harm and suffering for others. You know? It's um, just ensuring you're living in a righteous way. Not by killing, not by deceit, not by harming, um, not by slave trade, um, and there's, and there's a, a lot of other things that he mentioned, some of which, um, you know, you have to find out for yourself what makes sense. And people really want to know, tell me, give me a list of things I can or cannot do. And we have to find out for ourselves. Um, obviously, if you're causing harm, if you're taking, intentionally taking a life, if you're, if you're breaking any of these, um, the precepts, the precepts come out of right action then that's not a wise way to make a living. But I know some people who, based on, again, their relationship to their job and how they feel about it, don't feel it's a wise, right livelihood. But there's also some places where, some suttas that say, you have to provide for your family. You, ha- you need to be comfortable. It's not about, you're, unless you're a monastic, in the, in the Theravadan monastic tradition, Monastics are totally dependent upon the community for their life, for their lives, for their food, for their shelter. Um, but other traditions, it's very different. So finding your way with making a livelihood, it doesn't mean you can't have nice things. But watch your attachment to those things as well. That's, again, the greed that can come in. Um, really, really, really investigate that. It's not, a, it's not that you're bad if you have a nice car. It means, you know, just watch your relationship. Watch the attachments. Really um, important. So make your living in a wholesome way by not stealing or killing. And then we move into the last section, which is, I like how they talk about it, mental discipline. It's right effort, right mindfulness, and right um, and samadhi, or collectedness of mind, um, often translated as as um, concentration, but effort is so necessary to prevent, um, it's a, there's four efforts, there's preventing um, the defilements from arising, the, gre- the greed, the hatred, and all the emotions that have greed and hatred as their base, 
um, you know, jealousy, envy, um, hatred, anger, rage, all those things that are not helpful or wholesome or beneficial. Um, watch those and abandon them when they arise. If you're in that place of anger, it's not, you know, it may be there, but don't put it on. This is where you shift your perspective and say, there's anger here but in not being taken over by it. I liked Lama Rod talks about rage and anger. He goes, you can't deny anger when it's there, but rage is when you're not present. You are lost in the anger. And the same is true for all of these. Be with these emotions with awareness. And when they start taking over, when you begin to say, I am, then you have taken birth as the emotion, as the defilement. And you want to abandon that. Let it go. Prevent them from showing up, recognizing them, and then that if they do show up, abandon them. And then recognize the wholesome states. And that's what we were doing with the meditation tonight, recognizing that you can drop below those stories of I am. Be present with what's here, even the uncomfortable states of anger or jealousy, envy, conceit, whatever it is that are driven by um, uh, these defilements and see them for what they are and still have this ease and, and, and maintain those. So we guard the sense stores, watch what's um, being ingested that leads to this distraction, that leads to this being taken away and being overcome. And instead, be willing to let go again, let go, let go, let go. It can seem so juicy and so nice because we're familiar with it. It's what we know. It's these old habits, of these old patterns of reactivity that can come like that. But we have to bring mindfulness, which just happens to be the next factor. Be with. Some other translations of sati, which is translated as mindfulness, are be with to remember, to pay attention, be right here, right now. You know, the proliferation of thought, papancha, is our, is our usual state. And so we want to let that go. Bhikkhu Bodhi writes another, what does he say? The mind, the mind often um, puts forth concepts, joins these concepts into constructs, sets of mutually corroborative concepts, concepts, then weaves the constructs together into complex interpretive schemes. In the, in the end, the original experience that we had has been overrun by ideation. And the object that we experienced appears only dimly through dense layers of ideas and views, like the moon through a layer of clouds. The original experience has been so lost by our, our proliferation of thought that, like, you just can't see it. You can't see it anymore. And so to pay attention, the strong mind penetrates this experience and allows you to be present. Be with, with clarity. You know, that's, that's the, and the foundation, the Satipatthana, the four foundations, the establishments of mindfulness help us do that. You know, body, breath, recognizing pleasant, unpleasant, recognizing the emotions that are here. They all support each other. 
and then recognizing when when you're you're in this place of equanimity the factors of awakening or recognizing when you're not the hindrances recognizing when things are present and this is where the the right effort comes in oh stuck in that craving stuck in that aversion can i let it go and instead come into some ease so it's all this constant back and forth paying attention that's why we don't just get it and move on because it's a continual um, letting go and a continual moving deeper and deeper and deeper into our conditioning the peeling of the onion so to speak and this right samadhi this this final one this connect the collectedness of the mind it's the freedom from distraction it's the recognition of all the comings and goings but not being pulled away we're fully present and we see things as they truly are without being impacted by the conditions you know by conditioning it's like yeah that i see that thought that old story coming by but it's not latching on you know the velcro is not there anymore it doesn't stick it just moves on through moves on through keep on going have a nice day right when you find work and you know just keep on going so that's the eightfold path and that's the path to liberation and so we all find ourselves in different places it's like you know i said i was in wise wise speech for years and years and years still do still such a wise action is still such a uh, an important part of how i move through the world intention constantly am i how am i holding the the experience how, which direction am i going in you know usually we're somewhere on the path as i said it's not linear you know and as you put them into practice they become deeper the understanding it becomes an experiential response rather than a conditioned reaction and it's a place to land as you move through the world i really appreciate this because it has been such a a a a foundation as as you move through this practice and the old ideas and the old ways of being the old ideas of who we are fall away it's a it's a great place to have uh, it's a great thing to have this landing pad to 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 be a soft cushion to land on and a way to move forward um it's a path away from dukkha however you define dukkha so as you as you reflect on this i i invite you to just um reflect on how dukkha shows up for you you know what's keeping you there and what gets in the way of your liberation so thank you thank you thank you my friends for your for your kind attention and i hope this has been of some benefit Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.